Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast, where I go in-depth with the most intriguing people in the world of soccer. On today's show, as part of my series of interviews with the candidates for U.S. soccer president, I'm joined by new candidate Kathy Carter, who has been the president of Soccer United Marketing. Our discussion includes her platform and background, and I press her on what she would do as president to remove any perceived conflicts of interest between nonprofit U.S. soccer and its for-profit business partner, Soccer United Marketing, which is owned by MLS owners. Whether or not it was profitable, I would argue that whatever we ended up making, was it the same as what another agency would have made? That's certainly open for conversation. But ultimately, if I were the president, my role would change, first and foremost. Beyond that, what I would say is that it's actually not the president's role to make these decisions. It's the role to govern and to ultimately manage the board through the decision-making process. Much of what would be done in interacting with any other, any outside agency, whether that's some IMG and international media uh, or any other business partner, is actually managed by Dan Flynn, the CEO, and his staff. Uh, And so it's really to them to bring those things to the board. It's the president's role uh, to manage how those conversations happen at a board level. All that and more coming up. Our guest today is new U.S. soccer presidential candidate, Kathy Carter. Kathy entered the race this week, just ahead of the December 12th deadline. She has most recently been the president of Soccer United Marketing, the marketing arm of Major League Soccer, and is taking a leave of absence from that position during the campaign. She also played soccer at William & Mary, and we'll learn lots more about her during this conversation. Kathy, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Grant. Really appreciate being here. Lots to talk about here. I wanted to start just by saying you have waited until pretty late in the game here to declare your candidacy for U.S. Soccer president. Why now? Well, first of all, that's a great question. Um, What I would say is, uh, I don't know how much you know actually about my background, so let me start there. Yeah, let me let me let me start there uh, because it actually plays into the entire story. Um, You know, I grew up playing the game, uh, same as everyone else. I grew up in Northern Virginia, uh, played from the age of seven. uh, Actually, became a goalkeeper at the age of seven. If I had only known then what I know now, which is I am all of five foot five, um, I would have probably stayed as a midfielder. Uh, but I grew up and I played through all of the levels. I went also um, as far as being a part of the youth national camps, played in college. Um, and when I got out of school, um, there really weren't any options uh, to continue to play. And so I continued to play recreationally um, in Virginia, in L.A., when I moved there and here in New York. Um, but it was at that point I actually started my business career um, and was fortunate enough after a couple of stops to, to land in 1993 with the World Cup Organizing Committee. Um, and so I've been in this game um, my entire life, uh, both as a player and then obviously uh, now 25 years later as an executive. Um, so... As I looked at, and I think the the moment when we lost to Trinidad, um, which is kind of a defining moment, I think, in this campaign, not because that was a result, in my opinion, and let me back up, because I, I got to tell you, it was probably the worst day of mine. Well, actually, when I was sitting in, when the U.S. lost in France in 1998 to Iran, that was pretty bad, too. But this was to get to the dance, and... Right. Ultimately, um, that was horrifying. It was horrifying from a fan standpoint. It was horrifying from a business standpoint. Um, it was horrifying from, for, for us in terms of the development of the sport. Um, and I took, obviously, about six weeks um, to really reflect on that. 
And I think that's what everybody has done. And I think that if I think positively, which I choose to do, that's given us an opportunity to actually talk about what actually is going on in our game. Um, And so through the course of the last number of weeks, I've looked at the discourse that's going on, um, the conversations, uh, and I have thought to myself, there is very few times in your life when you're given an opportunity to do something to impact um, the, the sport in this case that has given me everything. If I didn't think seriously about entering the race and now enter the race, I don't think I could actually uh, ever forgive myself Um, because it's almost as if I've trained for this my entire life, both on the field and now in the the boardroom. Um, So we need somebody with my incredibly diverse background, all in our game, to really lead change uh, in the U.S. Soccer Federation. Several people I've spoken to say that MLS Commissioner Don Garber and current U.S. Soccer President Sunil Gulati have actively lobbied for you to run. Is that true? No, they have not. This is 100% my decision. Um, and let me start by saying, actually, my decision and, and my partner, Dave, uh, who is also a former player, played at Northwestern, played uh, actually in the form, former USISL and recently played in the Maccabi Games in Israel. You know, he, we're, we're both from soccer families. We are a part of this game, and it's actually how we met. Um, so it's really, this is something that I have to do. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say I hope I have Don and Sunil's support, um, more so because I've earned their respect. And, you know, as I think about my business career, let alone my soccer career, um, and I've already talked about being a player, but ultimately, you know, when you're, when you're short and you're a goalkeeper, everybody doubts whether or not you can um, succeed in that position. And I think I did pretty darn well. Um, but actually that life lesson was one of the most important things I brought to business, which was, um, you can never expect to be given respect. You actually have to earn it. Uh, and that's something that I have consistently done through my, my entire professional career. Uh, so when I think about Don and Sunil, if I've, if there's any support that they're giving me, it's because of respect. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, uh, I hope I've earned that through the years of, of work. One thing that comes up when I talk to people about what needs to be fixed in U.S. Mm -hmm. soccer, especially after the lack of qualifying for the World Cup, is that, well, the business side is is doing well. Mm -hmm. There's a surplus of $130, $150 million at U.S. soccer right now. There used to be a deficit, so that's certainly moved in the right direction. But that we have sort of lost our way on on the men's side, especially, but there's always concern about whether the women can mm-hmm. continue the standard they've had too, that we've lost our way in a soccer sense. And I guess the question I would have then for you is why should someone who is best known for your business record, mm-hmm. you're better known for that than technical soccer decisions, even sure. though you have a background no, in no, no. the sport. Why should we move in the direction of more business when maybe we should be really focusing on getting the soccer side better? Well, first of all, I think it's about leadership. Um, I think that's the most important thing that we need in the next president of the United States Soccer Federation. We need somebody that leads us to the next generation. And when I think about really what my vision is for that, um, I think first and foremost, we need to, to make this game the best game that is 
the best game in this country. And I think we've made a lot of progress over the last 20 to 30 years, but there's a, there's so much more to go on this hill that we've been climbing. And so we need real leadership to, to take us to that. You know, I also think you've hit the point um, hard there, uh, and I couldn't agree with you more. We have to figure out how do we not just dominate on the women's side, but put our men in a position to dominate. And we need to define what dominance actually means. Um, and so there's no question in my mind that having all of our teams uh, can consistently perform and consistently be in uh, international competition is, as I like to say, that's table stakes for the program. Um, so that has to be a part of what we're thinking about, but it goes beyond there. So I continue to think about it and, you know, winning the right to host the 2026 FIFA World Cup uh, and then hosting what will, would be the most incredible event on the planet with our friends in Mexico and Canada. But I don't think we can ever lose sight of where it all begins, um, because it begins uh, with a young person playing our game, and so many of them are outside of our system. So what do we do to bring them back into the game um, and actually have them be a part of, of U.S. soccer? Uh, and then ultimately, how do we make sure that we're talking with our members? So when I think about what you asked, which was why hire somebody or, or elect somebody that has a business background, um, it's because I actually know how to, how I, you know how to get things done, but ultimately how to lead. And I think what we need is a plan, not just for the business side, to your point, which I think has been incredibly successful, um, but we need to actually lead the development of a plan on the technical side as well. And I'm not sure that really exists today. And in fact, I'd say it doesn't. In terms of the actual hiring of national team coaches, that's certainly a part of what uh, a U.S. soccer president is is very involved in. Mm -hmm. What is a, the process that, if you were president, mm -hmm. you would lead when it comes to hiring a men's national team coach? That position is open. Mm -hmm. Well, let me, let me back up for a second because there are ways that we should be operating. And to think that any administrator or anybody um, that, quite frankly, is running today has the technical chops to make those decisions, in my mind, is silly. Um, we have people that spend the entire their entire lives, they wake up like I do, um, and focus on this game, but they focus on it from a different direction. So I think we need more minds around the table that ultimately are making us a stronger soccer nation and making us a, song, a, a stronger national program uh, in, our, in our teams. So I don't believe it's the president's responsibility to actually make that decision. I believe it's the president's responsibility to lead the board and to provide the staff at U.S. Soccer with the right resources to be able to, to, to look at it based on a plan for what we want them to represent and identify coaches. I'm often brought back to when um, the USA basketball, when they, when they failed to win a gold medal and they won bronze, um, was a period of great change for them. Um, and they looked at it and realized they didn't have somebody that was so focused on basketball. And they brought in Jerry Colangelo uh, to sort of be the basketball czar. Uh, we don't have any of that today. And again, how we go about that decision and how we go about it should be a collective process. Um, but it shouldn't be the president's role to identify the coach and hire the coach. I mean, that if we're doing that, we, we've lost the plot. Would you like to have a soccer czar? 
I would absolutely like to have multiple people that have um, more influence because I don't believe that you can have one person that's focused on the entire technical side of the game because I think there are nuances to the women's game that are different than the men's game. And I think we've got to make sure that we're focused on each of our programs in a way that makes them both as successful as they are, if not more, in the women's case, and then on the men's side that keeps us uh, going forward and never have what happened here in 2018, 2017 happen again. You played at William & Mary. Jill Ellis, the current U.S. women's national team coach, you played with, correct? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the story there? Yeah, I did, actually. When Jill came first came to the country, she moved to uh, my hometown, uh, Fairfax, Virginia, um, and played youth soccer. Uh, actually, we went to the same high school. Uh, she's a little bit older than me, I can say. I can't say that about too many people anymore. But um, but ultimately, uh, we played for a year together in high school, and then I ended up at William & Mary, which is her alma mater as well. Played for a year there. Um, I also coached in her dad's uh, camps for five, six, seven years. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I know I know the family, and I know Jill. Um, and ultimately, you know, whether I, I, and quite frankly, I'm incredibly excited about what the women have a potential to do, um, hopeful based on the recent performance of the uh, the new uh, group that hopefully they'll be ready uh, as we head to France in 2019 uh, to, defend, to defend our, our world championship. Different U.S. presidents have had different styles. Uh, Sunil Gulati has been very active and hands-on in just about everything. Mm-hmm. His predecessor, Dr. Bob Contagulia, was, uh, had a different style. Mm-hmm. He kind of didn't have his hands in everything. Maybe he was more of the traditional idea of why it was a non-paying job, I think. What would your style be like? Well, I think uh, it's pretty easy to understand what my style would be like because it's what I do every day now. Um, I think I'm collaborative. Um, I think most importantly, I hire people that are a whole heck of a lot smarter and better than me um, because I think that the success of any organization is is not uh, based on any one individual but on a collection of individuals. Um, And today, when I look around my table, the people that I work with on a day-in and day-out basis, um, it it truly is a reflection of the American society. Um, We have all different types of of people from all different backgrounds, whether that be ethnic, whether that be male and gender, whether that be socioeconomic in terms of where they grew up and then where they are today. Um, And so I think that's one of the things that we've got to be focused on is how do we have enough diversity around the table to be getting the right types of ideas that will ultimately will push the federation forward. You've been the president of Soccer United Marketing in recent years. What is the best way to describe what Soccer United Marketing is and does? Well, we have, uh, it is um, the agency essentially um, for soccer in the United States over time. We have built that sort of um, credibility. We essentially make the money um, that it sits in the U.S. soccer coffers today uh, that you made reference to. Um, so we have actually generated the majority of the profits for uh, soccer over the last uh, 15 years. So this is an area, I think, where some of your opponents mm-hmm. are going to uh, bring up with mm-hmm. you. Uh, if there are any debates, I think that would be interesting if there is a debate. Um, but Soccer United Marketing is a private company mm-hmm. owned by the MLS owners. Yep. It has had a very close and profitable relationship with the United States Soccer Federation, a nonprofit company. You know, are you in any way feeling like there are any conflicts of interest that have resulted from that relationship between Soccer United Marketing and the MLS owners and Mm -hmm. U.S. soccer over the years that if you were to become U.S. soccer president, 
you might want to remove any perceived conflicts of interest. Well, let me back up for a second because I think that um, let me go one step deeper on Soccer United Marketing. Everybody thinks that we were very profitable on behalf of uh, as a result of the representation of U.S. soccer. Um, and I would say uh, you go back, the, the deal that U.S. soccer had prior to that was with a, another agency, um, IMG, in fact. Um, the difference is that the entire purpose of some is to actually all day, every day, think about the sport of soccer, uh, about how do we grow the game. Uh, and then what, whatever profits are actually generated go back into the development of the game. Um, and so whether or not it was profitable, I would argue that whatever we ended up making, was it the same as what an, another agency would have made? That's certainly open for, for conversation. But ultimately, if I were the president, my role would change first and foremost. Um, beyond that, um, what, I, what I would say is that it's actually not the president's role to make these decisions. It's the role to govern and to ultimately manage the board through the decision-making process. Much of what would be done in interacting with any other, any outside agency, whether that's some or that's a, a IMG and international media uh, or any other business partner, is actually managed by Dan Flynn, the CEO, and his staff. Uh, and so it's really to them to bring those things to the board. It's the president's role uh, to manage how those conversations happen at a board level. The board is on behalf of the membership making decisions. Uh, and to my knowledge, the board is the one that actually made the decision to go forward with any deals. And so they should in the future as well. When you look at the, the relationship between Soccer United Marketing and Major League Soccer and the U.S. Soccer Federation, mm-hmm. I guess there's a a pretty basic question that comes to my mind, which is when you look at the, the television rights deals that are currently in place through 2022, the U.S. soccer television rights are bundled with those for Major League Soccer. It's been like that for a while. Is U.S. soccer leaving any money on the table by doing that, in your opinion? Money that could go to U.S. soccer if they were just to have their rights sold mm-hmm. on their own as opposed to bundling them with MLS? Well, I think the aggregated approach has probably provided more value to the Federation. But I think as I look to the future, and, um, you know, CONCACAF has announced that they will have uh, the new CONCACAF Nations League, or League of Nations, as they're calling it. There's a lot of conversation that's out there about what UEFA is doing and FIFA is doing around the idea of the World League and whether or not there'll be a, an evolution of the current UEFA model, uh, which is about national teams competing on those friendly dates. Um, so I think as we look to the future, um, it's really, I don't know if we know what the future of, of U.S. soccer's rights in terms of what they will have the rights um, to uh, sell versus what uh, they may be a part of a, a package with the Confederation or what mm-hmm. have you. What I would say, though, is that my experience in relation, relationships with both CONCACAF and with FIFA puts me in actually a very unique position to be able to understand the effect that that would have on the U.S. Soccer Federation and make sure that I protect the rights that actually are most important for the Federation. And I would argue there's not anyone one that has the same level of understanding that I would have if you're sitting with, uh, with Victor Montigliani, uh, if you're sitting with any of the, uh, the people around the world, um, there is nobody that has the experience that I have in this country uh, to be able to advocate on behalf of the U.S. Soccer Federation in those corridors of power to make sure that we continue to have the most uh, opportunity to generate revenue and profitability on behalf of the membership. No one. Nobody can touch it. At the time of your announcement... You will be the eighth candidate in the U.S. soccer presidential campaign. The other seven are men. Is it important to you to be the only woman who is currently running for U.S. soccer president? 
Well, first of all, thank you for noticing. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, first and foremost, I'd say when I strip away that aspect of it, um, I'm actually the most qualified. And that's ultimately for the voters to decide. Um, uh, nobody can actually match the myriad of experiences that I have had. And that's not to take away from anybody. It's just so happens that's the, uh, the position that I have been in. Um, but yes, it, it's not lost on me um, or anybody else that I am the only woman uh, who's currently running. Um, and I think that that, from my perspective, is certainly a, a strong um, positive for me as to why I would want to do this. Uh, when I think about my playing career, and I didn't have a national team to look up to, I didn't have the NWSL to look up to, um, that exists today for our young players, on, at least on the women's side, right? Um, and that wasn't there when I was a kid. And I would say if I were elected, would that be a, a terrific um, uh, platform for girls to say, I can do this too? Uh, and I th think about it this way, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected as the first woman uh, to lead U.S. soccer, I can guarantee you I won't be the last. What would you do, and I'm asking this question to every candidate, Sure. what would you do to help increase the presence of women in leadership in the Federation? When I look at the Federation right now, yeah. there's a lot of guys. Yeah, how do I answer that? Because that's why I'm running. I mean, that's part of the reason why I'm running, Grant. I mean, yeah, I agree. I mean, listen, I've, I've, I've been in business for, like we said, we've already established for, for 25 years. Um, and ultimately, I'm oftentimes the only woman in the room. And as I've traveled the world, which I have done on behalf of this game, uh, whether it's been in Mexico, where I have done uh, well over a decade worth of work with the Mexican Federation, uh, whether that's at CONCACAF, that's not unusual, unfortunately, for our game. Um, so we got to do that brick by brick. And uh, what I would say is, uh, and I stress once again, I believe that having diversity in our, that is reflective of our membership is critical to the way we think about things. Um, anybody can look at my history and, and they can, I don't just say that, I actually, I walk the, the walk the walk, so to speak. Uh, so this would be the first step towards that actual, that end, because I believe that we need more women in this game. U.S. soccer currently has a surplus of at least $130 million. Some of that has to be kept in reserves, but a lot of it can be spent. What do you think it should be spent on? Well, that's actually Dan Flynn's job, first of all, so I certainly wouldn't dictate that. But I think it's pretty clear to us that we need to increase the level of resources uh, on the technical side of the game. Uh, I think that we've got to do a lot more uh, to increase uh, the, the path for our young players into the national team and into professional ranks and then ultimately the national team. Um, but I think we've got a lot, a lot of other systemic issues that, that, as I've started to talk to people, I think that are out there. Um, so i, I got to tell you, I actually have, don't have all the answers, and I think that anybody who says that they do is um, perhaps selling people on an idea that's false. Um, so I actually have more of the questions uh, that I think we've got to solve for. And I think that um, that's a part of what, I've, what, I've, what the vision is for what I want to be able to do. But it's clear there are more things that we need to be really thinking hard about. And I think there are things that are affecting the membership, whether that's, again, the grassroots involvement, the kids. When you think about it, and you've been around the New York City soccer scene for a long time. There's, 
I, I like to say, I think there's more people who play soccer uh, today in New York City uh, as an adult than are actually registered uh, with um, the Adult Amateur uh, uh, Association. And, and ultimately, um, that's one of our challenges. We've we got to get more people into the program, into the system. And actually operating uh, that, those are, those are some of the things I think we've got to start to look at. And some of that will require investment. As president, what would you do on a hot button topic that comes up pretty often here? Promotion and relegation in U.S. soccer. A lot of discussion. It's, it's, people are very passionate in some quarters about it. MLS, obviously, not part of it. We don't have promotion and relegation mm-hmm. as of now. What is your stance on that? Well, as a fan, because I am first a fan, uh, and uh, I would say I love it. It's, it's terrific. It's fun. Um, it's intense. But I think Kyle actually has, has gone out and said, um, right now, we're just not at a point where we can have that conversation. Uh, and I think specifically, look at where the NWSL is today. And I think we're very fortunate. The Federation has done a, a good job of maintaining some level of commitment um, to the women's game that has kept the NWSL going forward. Um, it, we're just too soon in these conversations to think that we can, we can have that dialogue. Someday. Someday. Uh, U.S. soccer president is an unpaid position. Campaigning around the country costs money. Are you getting any financial support for the campaign? And how would you be able to afford being U.S. soccer president if it's an unpaid job? Well, first of all, um, I've been pretty fortunate. And uh, I mentioned uh, David earlier. Uh, he's from the game, like I said. And we've sat down, and he's going to continue working. And he's not going to – he uh, runs a charity in addition to his full-time, his full-time job. But ultimately um, – uh, I'll be fine. Uh, and I understand it's unpaid. Um, who's financing my campaign coming right out of my pocket and, and Dave's pocket, but, um, and our family are supporting as well. So yeah, I, I, I walk in with my eyes wide open, uh, and I'll give up a very significant paycheck to be able to do that. Um, but I believe that it's time and it's time for us to have somebody that has the vision that I've got and has the background to take this sport to that next level. So I am prepared and willing and able um, to lead the U.S. Soccer Federation into great, great heights in the future. If you had a final thing to say to the voters and U.S. soccer fans, what would it be? Well, I've been pretty fortunate in this game. Um, it's actually given me every opportunity, quite frankly, I've had professionally and for, to a large degree personally. Uh, my, it's been every part of and every walk of my life. Uh, you know, but one of the things I like to talk about is, um, often is I think back to all the great memories that I've had in this game. Uh, and really I've been incredibly fortunate five of the last six FIFA world cups, the last five women's world cups, which are, there's not many more than that. There's just a couple more. Uh, but I've been to every one of those, either as a member of, um, of, the FIFA standing committee, uh, which I was previously on for, for the women's committee, um, or as a, as a fan. And so, um, I'm of this game. I'm from this game. And I think the one thing we haven't spent a lot of time talking about is having the right person in this seat also matters a lot for our fans. They're the ones who are the lifeblood of what we do. We, they deserve for our federation to continue to improve and for our game to get better. Uh, and our members. Um, but ultimately, I'd say uh, I'm excited. Um, I'm nervous, to be, to be abundantly clear, um, but I'm ready. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there and talking to people because I think they've got a lot to offer. Kathy Carter, thank you for joining me. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Kathy Carter as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the new 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on Amazon with a free seven-day trial now. Recent guests include Juan Carlos Osorio, Howard Webb, Gwendolyn Oxenham, and Ken Bensinger. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.